from bellying up to the nine foot homemade oak bar, my name is Craig Toth, your host of Minor League News and Brews, talking about everything around the Pirates minor league system and giving you some beer reviews at the end of the show. This week, I am going to be focusing on the Pirates pitching prospects. Try to say that five times fast. Talking about where they are at as far as the grades they have been given uh, for each of their pitches, as well as control the overall grades, working in where they are at as far as development, uh, if they are knocking on the door, if there may be a few steps away, or some that may be down in the Bradenton-Greensboro area. But before I get to those, there were some minor moves, and they these are minor league deals, and it kind of fits because it is dealing with the pitching end of things. Nothing that was really earth-shattering or... You know, really gets people all that excited. Uh, Cade McClure, uh, former draft pick for the Chicago White Sox in the sixth round of the 2017 draft out of the University of Louisville, brought in on a minor league deal. Um, he's a guy that, you know, didn't get to pitch a lot this past year. Uh, due to injuries, I did have, you know, some some helium or, you know, a little bit of, of stuff behind him uh, with when he was back in the Chicago White Sox system, spent this year uh, in the San Francisco Giants organization, is getting up there in age. He's about to turn 28 years old. But, I mean, none of these moves are, even if they're not, you know, a major move, it gives you depth, it gives you options uh, for the upcoming spring training uh, Grapefruit League season because there are, even in that time, a lot of innings um, that need to be taken up. Uh, you're not going to see even, you know, the starting pitchers for the Pirates, a Mitch Keller, a Marco Gonzalez, Martin Perez, uh, Luis Ortiz, Bailey Falter, uh, Quinn Priester, <laughs> Rowanzi Contreras. Uh, you're not going to see these guys, you know, pitch a ton of innings. So there's, you know, work that has to be done. And, and who knows? I mean, sometimes uh, these things work out. I'm also signed uh, Connor Sadzek. He's a guy that does have a, a tiny bit uh, of major league experience, just uh, around 36 innings of work, uh, a little bit older. But once again, you know, you need these guys. You need as many arms as you, you can in camp. Uh, there may be injuries that come about. Uh, the Pirates do have, you know, four players that will be coming off um, of the 40-man move to the 60-day IL. 
so there will be some room for some players. Obviously hoping that the Pirates go out there and sign, you know, another starting pitcher, at least one more position player that would probably take up uh, two or three of those spots. But like I said, injuries and stuff could come about. Uh, but the big one and, and like big one is, you know, maybe using that term a little bit loosely, uh, Brent Honeywell Jr. Uh, people will probably remember him for being a top prospect uh, in the Tampa Bay Rays system, uh, drafted in the second round of the 2014 draft out of Walter State Community College in Tennessee, reached as high as the number 11 prospect. And this is not just in the race system. The number 11 prospect in all of baseball in 2018. Uh, this was after he had Tommy John surgery in 2017 and 2019. He fractured his right elbow and all in all he had four surgeries in four seasons did get to see him at the major league level uh, this past year between the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox uh, to the tune of a 482 ERA a 1.45 whip over 52.1 relief innings once again, a minor league signing. It's a non-roster invitee in this case. He gets $1.25 million if he makes the club out of spring training. But, I mean, not really a big risk in this. If he comes in, pitches well, people get injured, or he, you know, outpitches people that may have options, uh, he could be used at the beginning of the season. Obviously, the bullpen is a place that is, you know, pretty full uh, at this point in time. But there are some guys that have options. But I just kind of wanted to talk to you guys about those kinds of things uh, before we got into the uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. I just saying, Brent it, Honeywell, it's it's intriguing. Uh, one more thing is that, you know, we have uh, Dewey Robinson on the staff, the, the former guru, pitching guru um, from the Tampa Bay Rays. He's a special advisor. Um, so that might have something to do with this. Not May not mean anything, could mean something, but really it's just all depth. And any of these minor league signings, if it's a minor league signing, it's not something to get too you know, overly excited or overly upset about. When you look at player prospect ranking, and in this case, specifically pitching prospects, you will see each of the pitches that they throw graded out. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably are very familiar with the 20 to 80 scale of prospect rankings with 50 being the average, uh, 
Anything above that is obviously above average. Anything that below, below average. Uh, these guys, the ones, especially the ones at the top of the Pirates prospect rankings, aren't really going to have much uh, that is below average. And if it is below average, it's going to be slightly below average, usually around a 45. In this breaking down of the Pirates prospects, I kind of you know, put the pitchers into tiers based on their, you know, grades and the types of pitches that they throw. Uh, not every pitcher on this list throws uh, the specific pitches that I'm going to talk about. Not everybody has, you know, a, a curveball. Some of them have, you know, multiple pitches. Uh, but may not have that. Uh, some of them don't throw a slider. Um, there are some guys that throw, you know, four to five pitches, and maybe only four of them are graded out. But the first thing that you'll always see um, is a player's fastball. In the Tier 1, uh, a class of its own is Paul Skeens. And in doing, like, the research for this, I went back and watched some videos, um, read a decent amount of articles because I know the one thing that's going to come out about Paul Skeen's fastball, even though you know most major sites is grading it out to be you know a 70 to an 80 grade pitch, which 80 obviously the highest that you can get. Uh, not too many pitchers get that type of grade on you know their individual pitcher pitches, even if they are you know excelling in that area. But looking at the shape of Paul Skeen's fastball, you're going to hear that probably ad nauseum over you know spring training uh, into the beginning of the minor league season. A lot of people are going to bring up uh, what is called a dead zone fastball which is one that falls within a, a certain level of a horizontal and a vertical break that it doesn't have you know much of a horizontal movement doesn't have uh, much of a, a vertical movement and kind of stays uh, flat and within that dead zone the one thing I noticed in I, I think it's Lance Bedzowski, uh, somebody who I'd mentioned before when talking about Paul Skeens does a really good video on, on Paul Skeens fastball. If you can, just go into YouTube um, and watch that. I also you know, read some articles on it. And the one thing they talked about with Paul Skeens and the fastball shape um, is that it, it does not have as much rise or it doesn't have, you know, that the sweeping cutting action of of certain pitches that the players throw uh, but the one thing with him is the location um, a lot of the times that fastball will sit on the the upper outside part of the plate which is a place where um, even if there is contact on on that type of fastball it kind of limits uh, the amount of, I guess, home runs or hard contact uh, that can be made on that type of pitch because it has to do 
a lot with you know the launch angle that is created by a player's swing and if you have a, a pitch that you know is already up and out it kind of limits the ability to for players to create um, that launch angle on it that you know in turn would would lead to a decent amount of home runs and the other side of that is you know a pitcher that's throwing um, their fastball out in that area it also causes uh, a higher whiff rate naturally um, just because I mean a lot of the times the uh, batter is kind of hunting a fastball that finds its way uh, more into the middle of the plate um, so they may not be able to get a good barrel on it, may not be able to, you know, get out ahead of it enough to, you know, put it over a wall, wherever, you know, it may be hitting a lot of stuff to the opposite field and, and really not, you know, being as successful with that type of pitch. So that's just one thing. I know I went on a little bit of a ramble there, but I, I definitely wanted to put that out there uh, concerning Paul Skeens. I mean, obviously, if he comes in and that's not the type of fastball he's throwing, even though uh, mechanically and, and if anybody's watched Skeens, he moves from, you know, the left to the right of the rubber, which is not something that is extremely common with pitchers. Um, so unless he changes something mechanically, it should be the type of fastball. Um, especially, you know, I know they said he added a sinker, but but more of the four seamer that he throws, the one that he throws uh, a lot into, you know, the upper nineties um, and touching a hundred. It's usually one, you know, that sits out there. So unless something changes, uh, that's just kind of like the information that's out there. Um, on the second tier, as far as the fastball goes, uh, you have Jared Jones, you have Bubba Chandler, Braxton Ashcraft, uh, Shunshuk Shim are some guys that just have, you know, these above average uh, fastballs that may not uh, be as elite as the one that Paul Skeens throws. And then I saw Xander Muth also out there. Um, as a player that has an average to above average fastball, um, a lot of the guys that are in the uh, the top 10 of the Pirates, especially their top pitching prospects, um, don't really have that fastball as well. It's not really seen uh, as their main pitch. Um, I do know that Thomas Harrington has a decent fastball, but it's not one um, that's really mentioned a whole lot. Now, that changes a lot when it comes to more of the off-speed pitches. Um, as far as the slider goes, usually the next one up when you're looking through those grading systems, this is possibly seen as as Paul Skeen's best pitch. I'm seeing it usually graded around a 70 which for a slider, I know a lot of people say you have to have uh, that third pitch. Uh, Spencer Strider does not. Uh, does, you know, throw a third pitch, but doesn't really have a third pitch um, that he can use with a ton of confidence. Uh, Garrett Cole is another one of those guys. Uh, A.J. Burnett, Pirates favorite, is another one of those guys. 
I, I do believe that Skeens will have another pitch, does have a, you know, average, which I'll get to, uh, change up. But for the most part, it's that fastball and that slider that he could be living off of. Um, coming in in the second tier uh, is Harrington, Thomas Harrington and Hunter Barco. Uh, very high level sliders, uh, which is kind of one thing that if you don't have, you know, that great fastball, you can usually sometimes lean on some of those secondary pitches. Not to say that you know, Harrington and Barco's fastballs aren't good. It's just that they're really not their best pitch. Um, and then going into, you know, that that third tier, you have Michael Kennedy and, and then Xander Muth again. Muth is, is so young um, that a lot of this stuff is is not something that's, you know, been seen a lot on the professional level. So, I mean, that's something also with these grading things is that some of the times it's, you know, what do you believe that pitch can reach? Maybe not exactly what it is um, at that point in time. For some guys it is. So that's where the grading scales can get kind of a little bit um, confusing. Uh, going back to Skeens just for a second here is that, I mean, if he has that fastball that's up high in this, and out in the zone, um, also has that slider, a lot of this is going to depend on, you know, the sequencing of his pitch. And also, is he able, you know, to throw that that slider for strikes? It's something that we've seen with, you know, some pitchers that if they're throwing the sliders and, you know, hitters in the major leagues know that uh, it isn't a strike, it's not going to be a strike, you know, they may chase it for a little while, but they will eventually catch on to that. So even if you're throwing these um, elite pitches, and this is something that's come up a lot with Quinn Priester um, with his his curveball, is that you know using his curveball to get out of a lot of jams uh, down in the minor leagues is not something that can be utilized, you know, a ton um, in the major leagues because. They know that there are times and most of the time that that could fall um, outside of the zone. So it's not something they're going to swing at. Um, if the sequencing and the fastball is not working, it could be something that could be hung out over the plate. Um, so, I mean, obviously you do want to have to, that fastball to work off of, especially for... Um, you know, starting pitchers, but uh, it's something that, you know, some of these guys are a little bit further away, can definitely be worked on. Uh, the next pitch looked at is the curveball. Um, in the, the first tier, um, you have Bubba Chandler. I mean, everybody always talks about, you know, Bubba Chandler's fastball, and, and I'm also on that end of things as well. Uh, when we had uh, Jeffrey Paternostro from you know, Baseball Prospectus on there, I kind of you know let it slip a little bit that you know, I've heard some people think that you know, Bubba Chandler's fastball, um, as far as you know the movement and, and different stuff, could turn out to be you know a more effective and a better pitch uh, than it is for you know, Paul Skeens, which is saying a lot because right now he's getting that 70, 80 grade on it. Um, 
but he does have you know a very good curveball uh, in the second tier we have jackson wolf uh, somebody that really doesn't you know get mentioned a ton um with the pirates uh, people will you know see him as kind of like a throw-in player <laughs> to a degree uh, a guy with not a very high ceiling but i mean he really hasn't done anything to to kind of take that away from him i mean did make an appearance in the major league for the padres previously and obviously came over and was in double a altoona uh, still a, a, a very good pitcher. And then Shungshuk Shim, uh, he also, he comes in at the uh, the third tier for that. Um, and for, for people like out there, and I've, I've seen stuff put out there that, you know, Bubba Chandler had a, a, a not so great year um, last season. And I'm pretty sure I've, I've pointed this out before, but I mean, if, if you haven't heard this before, it'll be new for you. Uh, if you have heard this before, I'm sorry. But, I mean, this was the first season ever in his life that, that Bubba Chandler focused solely on pitching. And for another thing, I mean, he started his assignment in Greensboro. Um, after not pitching not that many innings the year before in Bradenton, while he was still a two-way player in Bradenton, it was a very aggressive assignment uh, in my eyes. And, you know, he did struggle uh, first part of the season. And this nicely breaks down at the first and the second half of the season very naturally as far as innings pitched. Across his first 57 innings pitched, he had a 6.63 ERA and a 1.89 WHIP. Obviously, not good uh, for either of those statistics, either of those metrics. It does not look good for him. Over the last 54 innings pitched of the season, his ERA was a 2.33 and his WHIP was a 0.96. Which is obviously pretty good and bordering on like downright filthy elite stuff. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Uh, the last pitch that is usually talked about is the changeup. There are only two Pirates pitchers that have um, an above average changeup at this point in time. Uh, Thomas Harrington and Xander Muth. Um, and this is maybe why... I always kind of like am drawn towards you know Thomas Harrington a little bit as one of those guys who maybe I wouldn't say like underappreciated because we have seen him you know put on at least one top 100 prospect list, but I mean I maybe a, a portion of it is him being you know a little bit further away, but I could see him being a guy that could move up through the system a little bit quicker um, in my eyes it was like kind of one of the reasons why you know before last season when everybody was on you know the Luis Ortiz train and it wasn't because I didn't like Luis but I was leaning more towards Michael Burroughs just because 
you know, he had already worked out that extra pitch. Luis was, you know, just learning that new pitch. So I kind of had him a little bit higher. Obviously didn't throw as hard as Luis. Uh, Thomas Harrington doesn't, you know, throw as hard as well. Um, but would be a guy that I, I kind of put up, you know, as somebody that I'm really, really keeping my eye on. And for this other reason as well, which because the, the last thing that's always listed is um, is control. Um, and top of the mountain, top tier of this one, uh, Harrington's in that. Uh, Michael Kennedy shows back up is in that. Uh, Anthony Solomito and Paul Skeens. And that's would be another reason why I'm not really worried about Skeens is like if his, if his control is rated that highly, um, the way that I feel like his, his fastball is not as an effective pitch, uh, the slider is not uh, as an effective pitch, um, is if that control wasn't there. The control is obviously there. Um, within that second tier, um, you have Barco, Wolfed, Ashcraft and then down below that uh, you have Jones and Shim and for me this is where I kind of get and I kind of pump the brakes on Jared Jones a little bit I mean obviously a, a very young kid it's not saying he's a bad pitcher um, by any stretch of the imagination but I mean if you haven't go back and listen to an episode I wish I knew exactly which one it was where I kind of broke down uh, Jared Jones's stats when you had the automated balls and strikes uh, versus when he had you know the regular umpire and obviously there's regular umpires in the major leagues right now um, but the difference in his statistics his strikeout rates and everything uh, it there was a stark contrast, especially you know, in his effectiveness when there was that automated balls and strikes. He was not as good. I mean, it's just basically showing in that control. Had an entire offseason to work on it. Excited to see him pitch in spring. But it's one thing that kind of, you know, gives people that, that pause and that hesitation as to whether or not he can be a starter versus a reliever. Because a lot of times when a pitcher you know, start, stop, you know, having that control or is unable to develop that control. It, it can be, you know, master hidden a little bit um, as a reliever and can still be effective instead of having to go out and throw, you know, four, five, six, seven innings um, as a starter. And then finally, uh, you have the, the overall value of a player. I mean, obviously, it's going to go along the lines of, you know, where these people are seen as far as pitching prospects. So it's no surprise uh, in the, the first tier is Skeen, Solomito, and Jones. Um, in the second tier, you have Chandler and Harrington. In the third tier, it goes Barco, Wolf, Kennedy, Ashcraft, Muth, and Shim. But for me, it goes more to where these guys are at um, as far as their development, as far as way, where they are at uh, from, you know, Bradenton to Greensboro to Altoona uh, to Indianapolis. Right now you have three guys knocking on the door. You have Jones, you have Skeens, and you have Ashcraft, especially with him being added to the 40-man. A step behind them, um, I would probably put Wolf above anybody else there just because... You know, he did 
get that call up and you know has been on uh, the stage before is a guy who is on the 40 man and then Solomito and Chandler still a ways away could change Harrington Barco Shim Kennedy and Muth and as always the wild card uh, depending on when he comes back uh, is Mike Burrows Michael Burrows uh, really hoping that you know we see him at some point uh, June or July without any setbacks I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode next week I will be working to break down uh, the tools for the position players a pitcher of beer a pitcher of beer let's order another pitcher of beer that pitcher of beer should come over here I love that pitcher of beer I've done some beers from New Belgium before. I think I've maybe had at least one of these before. Actually, I know that I've probably had one of these before, and that was the Experimental IPA coming in at 6.6%. I liked it. I didn't love it. Wasn't too heavy. Um, just really didn't have all of you know the hoppiness that I wanted from it. Uh, give this one a 375, bring it down to 325. The next one is the Haze Glare IPA. Obviously a hazy IPA. Love hazy IPAs. This one is on the heavier end, which anybody who's listened to this before, at least for me, um, the heavier ones, the more ABV there is, is, is not something that I'm... I mean, I'll have them, we'll have less of them. Uh, give this one a 400, bring it down to 350. And the last one, I know I haven't had this one before. And this is the Cashmere IPA. And I don't know if it's Cashmere Eyes or if it's Cashmere Eyes. You could pronounce it the ways you want to. This is an American IPA. I was really shocked on this one because this one is 7.5%. It would be a one that I usually wouldn't give as high of a score, but it was my favorite um, within this pack. One of the Voodoo Ranger uh, samplers, which always has the original Voodoo Ranger in there. Um, I scored that back when I did the preview for Greensboro, which would have been back around like last end of last February, beginning of March of last year, if you want to get that one. One. This one, 7.5%, gave it a 450, knock that down to 400. And as I said, going to be doing the position players next week, working out the details on getting uh, the previews to you for Bradenton, for Greensboro, for Altoona, and for Indianapolis. Man, I'm getting excited. Next week's Pitchers and Catchers Report. I know a lot of the guys are already down there. Can't wait to get going, and I can't wait either. <laughs>